Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we continue in our series, Rediscovering the Holy Spirit. So let's turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, as Dr. Newfeld gives us a message entitled, The Fruit of the Holy Spirit. Some years ago, the devotional Our Daily Bread told the following story. A young girl had surrendered her life to Christ and had applied for membership in a local church. She was interviewed by a deacon who asked her, were you a sinner before you came to Christ? And she answered that she surely was. Then the deacon said, are you still a sinner? And here was her answer. To tell you the truth, I feel I'm a greater sinner than ever. To which the deacon asked the next obvious question. Then what real change have you experienced? And the answer she gave satisfied this man and the church. She said, I used to be a sinner running after sin, but now I'm a sinner running from sin. Now I wonder, is that good enough for you? Well, I would call her a believer, but there's so much more that can be said. Many of you remember the name John Newton. He wrote the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, and he once made the statement, I'm not what I might be. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I wish to be. I'm not what I hope to be. But I thank God I'm not what I once was. And I can say with a great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and today I want to speak about his role in our sanctification. If you are unaware of that term, sanctification, let me try to give you a very simple definition. Sanctification is an ongoing work of God in our lives in which we gain more and more victory over sin and become more and more like Christ. According to Galatians 5, 22 to 23, the Holy Spirit produces fruit in us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, these are the characteristics of Christ, and as time goes by, we become more and more like Him. We're being transformed, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, from one degree of glory to the other. And then, not done with that statement, Paul adds, this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, this is the key role of the Holy Spirit in the life of all who trust in Christ. He renews us. Now, before we go on, I feel I need to make a clear distinction between two rather technical terms in the Bible that must not be confused with each other. I'm speaking about the difference between justification and sanctification. To be justified is to be declared not guilty. Justification is a legal term. It refers to God's legal declaration over the life of anyone who trusts in Christ. Romans 3, 23 to 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. In other words, justification is not gradual or progressive. It is all or nothing. You either are or not. And justification has nothing to do with your internal condition. It has everything to do with God's promise. It is instant and it's perfect. God declares all who believe in him to be not only forgiven, but to be declared legally righteous before God. But where justification is instant and perfect in this life, sanctification is ongoing and progressive and gradual. I may be treated as righteous in Christ, but I am learning to live like Christ from one degree of glory to another, and this is by the Holy Spirit. 
So let's start at the beginning. On the one hand, our sanctification began, if you're a true believer, at your salvation. 1 John 3, 9 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So we are told that at our conversion, not only are we justified, but we receive a new heart, and God plants a seed in us, and we have our first and fundamental break with sin. Like the girl said, once I was running towards sin, now I'm running from it. Of course, that doesn't mean I never sin anymore. It does mean that there is a definite break from the ruling power of sin in me. According to Paul in Romans 6, 11, we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. Now, having seen the initial break with sin at our conversion, nonetheless, we are not completely free from sin. 1 John 1, 8, speaking to Christians born of God who cannot keep on sinning, as John says, he will also say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Christians will continue to sin, not having defeated it throughout their lifetime. You know, I had a professor in seminary who was once asked by one of his students, when can we expect to win the war over sin? And which my professor responded, not until at least an hour after your death. I just don't trust warm flesh. Now, having said that, doesn't mean that we simply get used to being sinning Christians. Read Romans 6, 12, and 14. It's very plain. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you. Now, this is a command and a promise. Do not yield to sin. That's the command. Sin will not rule you. That's the promise. That's why 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that we are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. And this happens through the Holy Spirit. It's the expectation of all the writers of the New Testament that for Christians, our sanctification or our growth into holiness would grow and progress and increase for our lifetime. We will progress in holiness so that after being a believer for 10 years, you'll have made progress in your faith and you will continue to do so. Now then, before we go on, I need to point out that the process of our sanctification may not be completed in this life, but it will be completed at our death or when Christ returns in glory. Hebrews 12, 23 speaks of the assembly of the firstborn, that is the assembly of Christ, he's the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And I know there are some that teach a doctrine called the doctrine of purgatory. And the idea here is that the process of our sanctification, since not completed on earth, must be carried on in the next life until it is completed. That is, the sin that so easily clings to us must be purged from us in the afterlife after our death through a long process called the process of purgation or of purging. But first, the Bible denies that as a possibility. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8 teaches us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We go directly from this life into heaven. And second, we're not saved by our sanctification, but by our justification. Christ's death on the cross saves nothing else. But having been justified by faith and having gained peace with God, knowing that our sins never condemn us, we have in that moment also been crucified with Christ, and sin can no longer reign in us. 
Let me try to restate that again. When we're saved, our eternity was taken care of in Christ. But at that moment, Christ baptized us in the Holy Spirit and placed a seed of holiness in us so that we embarked on a pathway to sanctification. We were not saved by resisting sin. We were saved by grace and through faith alone. But as Martin Luther said so well, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Sanctification comes as a gift to those who are saved by faith alone. And hear me now. If no holy desires are placed in you, then there probably is no saving faith. Justification is always attended by sanctification. Okay, that's what the Bible teaches on this matter. But what role does the Holy Spirit play in our sanctification? Now, the Bible makes it plain that all three members of the Trinity are involved in our sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely. Now, when Paul speaks, simply by using the word God, he means God the Father. So the prayer here is that God the Father would sanctify the Thessalonian believers entirely. But the Bible also speaks of Christ's role in our sanctification. So 1 Corinthians 1.30 speaks of our being in Christ Jesus, who has, the Bible says, become for us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So of all the roles that Christ plays for us, sanctification is also one of them. But it is specifically God, the Holy Spirit, who provides sanctification for us. Listen to what the Bible says. Titus 3 verse 5, speaking of Christ, says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration. And then, says Titus 3 5, and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us. Or 2 Thessalonians 2.13 speaks of the sanctification by the Spirit. 1 Peter 1.2, using a Trinitarian formula, speaks of the foreknowledge of God the Father, the sprinkling of the blood of the Son, Jesus, and the sanctification of the Spirit. So sanctification is key to what the Holy Spirit does. Most often, our own growth in holiness is attributed to Him. And when we come back, we will see how the Holy Spirit brings sanctification into our lives and also how we might experience a greater degree of holiness than we have had in the past. It's happening after a two-year break. Back to the Bible Canada is inviting you to join us February 2018 for a Celebration Caribbean cruise. One week of cruising the pristine waters, visiting beautiful island vistas, and most importantly, joining the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team, including Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh Against Phil Calloway, and very special musical guests and new friends from coast to coast in a time of reflection, refreshment, worship, and fellowship with God's people. These events are incredibly popular, so don't hesitate to reserve your spot now and sail the Caribbean with Back to the Bible Canada. For cruise and registration information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. And an important reminder to all of our Back to the Bible Canada supporters, no ministry funds are used to facilitate vacation events. The entire cost of the event is met exclusively by those who participate. Since the Holy Spirit is key to our sanctification, this should lead us to the obvious question. Are we to simply wait for the Holy Spirit to do something in our life that brings holiness about, or is there something we must do? You know, some people will argue, no, all we need to do is to let go and let God. 
And others will say, no, no, Hebrews 12, 14 commands us to strive for holiness, that is, make every effort to become more Christ-like. And that brings us back to the fruit of the Spirit. Does the fruit of the Spirit simply grow because we've been baptized into the Holy Spirit, or do we make effort? Or when it comes to our sanctification, what happens, or how does it work? Is it our work, or is it God's work? The answer, I think, is found in Philippians 2, 12 to 13. There Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If I can reduce that important teaching to one easy line, I would put it this way. Fear God enough to make holiness a top priority, and you can be assured you will succeed in this enterprise because God has taken the initiative in your holiness. He makes you want holiness, and he gives you the power to strive for holiness. Now, from that, we can come to a very important conclusion. We cooperate with God in our sanctification. No, we don't have an equal role with God as if God is working on our holiness and so are we, kind of like we're cooperating and having an equal partnership, but rather on the basis of what he has done, we also do. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, first of all, at our conversion, he changed our hearts. We now love the things of God because he has given us a desire for God. Furthermore, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, as we have seen, the Bible speaks of the sanctification of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is producing in us His fruit. We are progressively becoming more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, and so forth. But here is where, on the basis of His work, we work. Listen to Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. Now, from this passage, notice three things. First, winning the war over the flesh is not optional. If you don't win, you're going to die. For those who say, well, wait a minute, that seems to contradict justification. I live or die depending on whether I trust Christ for my eternity. Yes, yes, that's true. But anyone who trusts Christ truly will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, whose work is to bring about our sanctification. If you don't fight and win this battle, it's an indication that you've never received the Holy Spirit, and whatever faith you have just can't be genuine. Now, second, notice, remember, we're talking about Romans 8.13, that it is by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body. It is by His power. We can't win the war over sin by merely trying hard or whipping ourselves by using the law or by becoming works-oriented or by reading motivational literature. No, no. According to the Bible, all of that is using the flesh to fight the flesh. Rather, what we need to learn is to walk in step with the Spirit. I'm going to come back to that. Then third, notice that it's not the Holy Spirit who is commanded to put to death the deeds of the flesh. You must do it. True, you can't do it by your strength, and true, you must do it by the Holy Spirit, but it is you who must do it. Don't believe me? Hebrews 12, 14 says, strive for holiness. You must expend effort to become holy. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, abstain from immorality. You must do it. Learn to exercise self-control. 1 Corinthians 6, 8 says, shun immorality. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, let us cleanse ourselves. 2 Peter 1, 5 says, make every effort. Now, how do we do this? Many of the answers I will now give are answers I suspect that most of us have heard before. God provides means of grace, regular Bible reading, prayer, 
worship, coming regularly under the preaching of God's word, participating in the graces of the church, which include being taught and partaking in the Lord's table, being in relationships of accountability with other believers. There is nothing new here. But if you neglect these time-worn, Bible-directed practices, you do this to your peril. Neglect these, and I promise you, sin will come back with a vengeance. Don't believe me? Remember Psalm 119, verse 11? It says, Your word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against you. There, you see, is a means of grace, if you will. You need to read and memorize and meditate on Scripture to win the battle against sin. God has provided you with weapons to win the fight. No, trite statements like, I'm just waiting for the Holy Spirit to do that, are silly. You must be active. I know there are people who do silly things. I mean, Lord, they pray, send your spirit to break the power of this habitual sin that keeps rearing up in my life. And then they complain that nothing happens while they continue to walk according to the flesh. But just as silly are those people who simply try harder. I'll expend more effort to defeat sin. That doesn't work either. No, the Holy Spirit has provided the means whereby sin and evil and fleshly desires are defeated. You use the weapons of your warfare. You must set your mind on the things of the Spirit, and that includes the means of grace that the Holy Spirit has given you. So think about prayer. According to Romans 8.26, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know how we ought to pray, and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Our praying might be weak. But don't fear. Count on the Holy Spirit to move in, help you, strengthen you, even interceding for you, as the Scripture says, with groans too deep for words. But did you notice you have to pray? you got to get down on your knees and make a regular, I would say even a daily practice of praying. And as weak and as feeble and as misdirected as your praying is, learn to trust in the Holy Spirit to energize prayers that would have fallen on the floor without Him. And I might say, call on the Holy Spirit. Ask Him, Holy Spirit, help me as I pray. Or consider Ephesians 4 verse 30. In the wider passage, we're told to give up on sensuality and greed and anger and laziness and theft, corrupting talk that comes out of our mouths, bitterness. I mean, the list goes on and on. And then Paul says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That is, don't cause the Holy Spirit to weep over you. Well, that must mean that the Holy Spirit has been prompting us to pay attention to his directive in our lives and to use the means that he has provided. Now think about how often you encounter a temptation or a trial in any given day. And how often has the Holy Spirit used a scripture you read, maybe for your devotions even that morning, or something you've memorized, or a sermon you heard maybe last Sunday, or the memory of that solemn moment at the Lord's table, or the things that were said in your Bible study, and it prompted you and urged you and convicted you and provided hope and gave you a renewed sense of desire for the things of God. And if you turn back on those things, you bring him grief. And so let's go back to Romans 8, 13. You, by the power of the Spirit, you must put to death the misdeeds of the body. You must commit murder to the desires of the flesh. But you can't do it. The flesh is too strong. Instead, do it by the Holy Spirit who has been given. I think that's why Ephesians 5, 18 urges us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
keep on asking the Holy Spirit for renewal and revival and an outpouring of his power. And as you do, you will find that the Holy Spirit is creating in you the very fruit that he promised, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You'll find those will be yours in greater abundance than ever before. My hearer, listen, I, like you, know the power of sin and have struggled with sin in my life as you have as well. But I want to encourage you, we are on the winning side. Trust the Holy Spirit to help you in your struggle. Use the means that he has given and recognize that you will stand before God in the end without spot or wrinkle. John, this has been a real interesting message, and I think it's it's been a fruitful message, if I can use that term. But I got to ask you the question, do the fruits of the Holy Spirit, do they just sort of naturally occur for the follower of Jesus when they give their lives to the Lord and the Spirit of God enters in? Or is there something that has to happen on our behalf? Yeah, you know, this idea that there are means of grace— that there are ways in which the Holy Spirit has arranged that we should pay attention to in which the, the fruit of the Spirit actually begins to grow. And so, you know, as I've mentioned in my message, you know, Bible reading, prayer, worship, you know, coming regularly under the preaching of God's Word. I have noticed, uh, Ben, in our day, uh, how frequently individuals will, uh, on a given Sunday, decide, you know, I got other stuff going on. I don't think I have uh, time for church. And, 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 and we have so taken a a much more laissez-faire approach to what other generations called the disciplines of grace. And because we're so laissez-faire, I'm going to argue that this is one of the reasons why we struggle with being unloving and unforgiving and all those other things that are the exact opposite of the fruit. So, yeah, we really do need to be diligent as we give ourselves to those means that Christ has directed us in. Now, do you find there's people that like to choose, choose which fruit of the Spirit is good for them and which isn't? But really, it's not sort of a selection process, is it? Yeah, it does seem like they are an entire package. But I think as we read through that package, every one of us is going to be finding that, you know, in some areas, I am deficient. So by giving us that list, I think uh, the Holy Spirit is directing us to pay attention to what's going on in our lives. So, you know, I've noticed that, you know, one of the things that many of God's people, when they grow in grace, become increasingly more thankful, even under difficult circumstances, or uh, will exhibit the fruit of joy uh, when everyone else is bitter or something else. You know, it's just this remarkable difference between the people of God and those who don't have the Spirit. Thanks for your message today, John. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Is God speaking into your heart and life through the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada? Well, our mission and legacy is simple. We teach the Bible, and radio has created a foundation for ministry that will not change. But we also recognize the importance to broaden our impact and influence beyond radio, online, email, social media, podcasting, both audio and video, and the list goes on. 
And that's why unique ministries for family and young people like Laugh Again and In Doubt were added. And in the days ahead, we'll introduce new video teaching programs, Bible studies, and our newest adventure, Back to the Bible Kids. Wow, all that to say thank you. So can I encourage others to join our Partner to Tell monthly partner family? Join us in influencing our nation and beyond with trustworthy Bible teaching. Call us today, become a monthly partner at 1-800-663-2425 or online at backtothebible.ca.